We're back. Biscuits and SEC Week 3 Preview. I'm here with the guys from Biscuits and SEC. Uh, Boss Man Slim and the Hammer. We're going to break down all the games this week except for the no-line FCS games, but you'll just have to take our advice on that. Uh, but anyway, um, Boss Man, tell people how to see your stuff at Biscuits and SEC. Yeah, absolutely. So you can check us out at biscuitsandsec.com. We've got uh, blogs that we post each week there, plenty of previews, recaps, and uh, other fun things going on. Uh, you can also sign up for our morning newsletter there. We do an email morning newsletter Monday, Wednesday, and Friday called the Morning Biscuits Newsletter. It's free to sign up, and we just give you the quick hits, quick morning bites of what's going on around the SEC. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search Biscuits and SEC where we'll post uh, our previews here. Uh, with you, Stephen, those can be found at our YouTube channel. And then you can also find us uh, on our social media handles, which is just at Biscuits and SEC uh, on all platforms. Yeah, you guys do a really good job of like busting out the clips as well. I've been noticing that over the first couple of weeks. I've been trying to retweet those. It's like, hey, this is good stuff to get back out there. Yes, it's re really good. Anyway, just full disclosure to anybody watching the show. Um, I've got a couple of Texas A&M fans that are sitting here um, talking. We're going to talk about the game of the week this week, which is number 13 Miami at Texas A&M. So this conversation could be, <clears throat> let's say, interesting. Anyway, Hammer, I haven't talked to you about this off air. I've talked to Bossman a little bit about it. Tell me about the Texas A&M quarterback situation. Wow. Uh, where to begin, honestly? Um Look, I think if I remember correctly, when we did our week zero show, I believe I thought Max Johnson had a good chance to start, mainly just because his body of work was solid. You know, he started a full season at LSU and part of the, the COVID season. He played well, I would say, not amazing. He's not a Heisman Trophy candidate, but I thought he, he played pretty well uh, for LSU in those two years. When he didn't have a lot of help, frankly, um, that team, you know, we know what they went through. They, they have Brian Kelly as a result of those two years. So um, I thought just given his experience, he would be a good fit. Obviously, Jimbo saw it differently, went with Haynes King, um, which I'm not too surprised at given Jimbo's track record. I mean, he's, he recruited Haynes. Haynes has been in the system uh, for three years now. So I wasn't totally shocked. I just thought that um, – you know, with Max Johnson, you knew what you were getting, and Haynes wasn't unknown. Um, well, now we kind of know what Haynes King is, I would say, and it hasn't been pretty. I don't think Haynes is getting a lot of help around him, uh, mainly from the offensive line. But at the same time, he has not looked good. He doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. He's not connecting, you know, with really any accuracy down the field. And the one thing we were sold on for so long was how fast he was and how athletic he was. And that just hasn't really come to fruition. He'll pop maybe one or two runs a game, but overall, again, I think he looks uncomfortable in the pocket. He doesn't look fluid. He doesn't really look like an elite athlete in the pocket. So I don't really know um, why you would trot him out there against Miami, honestly. I'm not going to be surprised if Jimbo does it again. Uh, he's stubborn, but based on what we've seen in, you know, his one start uh, in, in 2021 and the two starts this year, 
It just hasn't been good. So you need a spark to jumpstart this offense. I think Max Johnson could do that. I think Max Johnson would take care of the ball. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, we know Jimbo has different opinions, so we'll see what they do uh, on Saturday night. Boss man, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, it's a mess. Um, I, I think Max Johnson is a great option, and I think you have to give him a shot. Uh, I, I do think I've been hearing from AM sources that um, first team reps were being split in practice this week between Haynes uh, and Max Johnson. So I think that kind of tells you what you need to know. Um, Haynes King, I wouldn't be surprised to see him trot out for a series or two uh, to as the starter, series one, series two. Uh, but I think it's going to be a quick hook. If it's not, you know, clicking, if it doesn't look good, if uh, there's not much movement on the offensive side of the ball uh, with Haynes being the driver, then I think you'll see Max Johnson very quickly because, uh, you know, as we have kind of seen, if you look at A&M's schedule, uh, this could quickly spiral out of control. You've got App State, who you just lost to at home, and then you get Miami, and then you have Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Alabama in consecutive weeks. And then it, you have the rest of your SEC West schedule. You still got to play Auburn. You still got to play LSU at some point. Uh, so this thing could really go off the rails fast, and it starts at the quarterback position. You need a spark at quarterback. You need to make sure that your quarterback's playing well. Uh, as Hank said, the he hasn't been getting much help. Uh, Haynes King hasn't with uh, not only his wide receivers, uh, who played all right, but, um, you know, mostly it's been the offensive line. He really just hasn't been protected. Now, I know that LSU fans were frustrated all the time with Max Johnson about how long he held the ball, uh, but I don't think anybody could hold on to the ball longer than Haynes King's been holding on to the ball for the first two games. Uh, so why not give Max Johnson a shot? So uh, I think Max Johnson will play in this Miami game, no doubt. I expect to see him uh, probably in Series 2 uh, or 3 after Haynes King gets a shot. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Max Johnson uh, wins this job and finishes out the Miami game. Yeah, it's a unique situation because Haynes King obviously is being thought of by Jimbo as the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, sliced bread. Um, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> uh, I've, yeah, I, I've, I've been holding that joke in for a That's couple a of weeks. Uh, but – at what point do we start to question Jimbo and say, well, maybe the 2013 Florida State team that he got the Texas A&M job off, um, off of, it was more Jameis Winston's doing with Jimbo Fisher as a coach than Jimbo Fisher winning with Jameis Winston as a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I, sorry, Hank, go ahead. You can start it. Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I think – that is a very valid question at, at this point, right? I was writing last season that I thought Jimbo needed to either adjust his offensive scheme or let someone else call plays because it, it wasn't working last year with Calzada um, and he refused to adjust. And so far it's not working with, with Haynes King, who again is, is his guy. So it just becomes, yeah, at what point do we try to make things easier on everyone here and, and just get our playmakers in space versus running my offense to perfection? Because when it is run to perfection with Jameis or some of the guys he had even further back, you know, EJ Manuel or Christian Ponder, it can be successful. Um, and we've seen it be successful at A&M in short spurts just not consistently. So 
I, I think I think it's a valid question at this point about you know his, his offensive system and just whether it's the best fit for a modern college football team. I mean, we know it's a pro style system, so it's not like he's running you know the the wing T from the eighties, but. I just don't know if it's the best fit for 18 to 22 year olds who do they even are not run the wing tee in Texas everything. high school anymore? I'm sure they do. They mostly do it in like uh, six man football. So yeah. <laughs> they, they still do in some place in rural Mississippi. You'll see a team all of a sudden. Oh, oh, and you, you see if it's like, oh yeah, that, that'll work. There's scissors play, scissors play. And then you get all <laughs> excited about it. So you see it from time to time. Actually, when I was in high school, we played Columbia and they were running the Notre Dame box still. And that was in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> four yeah, horsemen. It, yeah, just four horsemen, the spinner, the whole nine yards. They, they were doing that. Wow. So we'll get something on a little bit of a happier note because I know A&M fans will probably think we're bagging on them a little bit. But Devin, Devin A-Chain, that is a dude. And A&M should be relying on him. They should get, be getting him 20 touches a game. He should be the guy that – takes this team forward and just find a quarterback that can just not hurt you. Oh, yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, you know, I was frustrated. I, you look at the box score from, uh, the Appalachian state game and it's just a joke, frankly, uh, the amount of plays that Appalachian state ran versus the amount of plays that Texas A&M ran, Texas A&M ran 38 plays. And I think Appalachian state was like in the seventies or the eighties. Um, and those 38 plays, a&M wasn't moving the ball hardly at all. I mean, they had fumbles. They had all sorts of issues. Uh, but Devon A-Chain, I mean, he, he had a kick return for a touchdown, you know. And when that kid touches the ball, he is electric. And like you said, he should be getting at least 20 touches a game. Uh, and in that game, he only had 10 carries. And you look at the amount of plays, though, and you're like, well, that's just under a third of A&M's plays. <laughs> so they were giving him the ball, but they didn't have a lot of plays to really do much with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. They've got Devon A. Chain. That guy is a Ferrari in the garage, and you got to take it out of the garage. He's got to be getting not only touches, uh, you know, running the ball, but also out of the backfield. The kid can catch the ball too. Uh, so they need to be swinging him out in the flat. They need to be doing wheel routes, all sorts of different things to get him involved in the offense because he's your best weapon right now. He's experienced, uh, and he's also he can take pressure off your quarterback. I, I've been frustrated that. Uh, he hasn't been more involved in the passing game over the course of the first two weeks. Uh, and I think that – I do think you'll see Jimbo try to get him involved. I think that's one wrinkle. Uh, Jimbo likes to save his wrinkles sometimes. You know, he did it against Alabama last year. He brought out a bunch of different looks that Alabama hadn't seen on tape. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what he's been doing through the first two weeks, that that's what's going to come out against Miami. You're going to see a few different wrinkles come out and maybe Devon A. Chain uh, more in the passing game because you're right, he's got to touch the ball. Yeah. Hammer, do you look at A&M's team. They look, they're, look like they're pretty set in 21 of 22 positions. Talk about the defense, because they only gave up like 315 yards to App State. The defense actually played well. It was just one of those things that the offense gave them no help. 100%. I, I, I look back and I, I rewatched the App State game because I'm a, a glutton for punishment. Um, but I wanted to, you know <laughs> – take a look at, at what really went down and defensively they played well they played sound they just could not get off the field on third down um, was their biggest issue but like you said when you look at a yards per play yards per rush yards per pass all the you know metrics 
they did pretty well. They, they weren't giving up chunk yardage. It was just, you know, death by a thousand cuts. And when your offense is going three and out and ends up running 38 plays to uh, Appalachian States, you know, 80 or 82, I think, then, yeah, you're going to get tired. And those third and fives where they run the ball with a 230-pound running back, he's going to fall forward. He's going to get yardage. So I really didn't have – too big of an issue with with how the defense did again other than you would like to see them get off the field on third down but i think under normal circumstances they'd probably do a better job of that if the time of possession and plays are a little more even so you know defensively i think that they'll be fine um it's it's the offense where who knows <laughs> yeah and i do think i said on this show this very show last week that App State's stretch play that they ran was a thing of beauty. I actually did mention that on this program. Anyway, before we come back, we're going to come back and talk about the rest of the SEC games. But first, I want to let you know about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your pro and college betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts. BetOnline is your combined, continued source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, golf, and MLS. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to move on to the rest of the SEC. We've talked about Miami and Texas A&M a little bit. Now we're going to talk a little bit about South Carolina and Georgia. At 11 o'clock, they play. Georgia's a 24.5-point favorite. Over or under is at 55. It's on ESPN. Kickoff's at 11 a.m. And the hottest place on earth, Columbia, South Carolina. Hammer, what do you think about this game? Um, I'm worried for South Carolina. They play hard, good culture down there that Shane Beamer's building, but um, this is just a mismatch. South Carolina can't block anybody. They can't run the ball. It's kind of backyard football with Spencer Rattler running around um, and throwing it deep, which he was able to find some holes last week against Arkansas with their secondary, you know, kind of depleted from injury. I don't see that happening this week. Um, and then offensively, Georgia has kind of been able to do whatever they want. I think Todd Munkin's done an excellent job so far this year uh, scheming that offense up. And, I mean, Stetson Bennett looks super comfortable. He barely has to throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field, and they're just scoring at will. So I think it'll be a good environment in Columbia, but by halftime, I, I think it'll be pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, that's what I'm looking at in this game, too. This one's a pretty easy pick. Uh, South Carolina needs to resurrect the ghost of Steven Garcia to even have a shot in this one. Um, and I would give uh, South Carolina a little bit more of a shot if this one was a night game in Columbia. Yeah, th that environment is just unbelievable at williams Bryce Stadium when they start playing Sandstorm and, and going nuts. And, you know, maybe you get Georgia on the ropes and it's – seven seven after quarter one and you know maybe there's some momentum that starts getting going but no this is a, a noon game 11 a.m kick central time um and so i i just don't see south carolina being able to do much south carolina's got some good athletes they have some issues like hank said their line can't block spencer rattler hasn't looked totally comfortable yet uh at south carolina he's making mistakes um 
and Georgia's coming to town, and you can't make mistakes against Georgia. Uh, Oregon learned that pretty quickly uh, and got rocked, uh, and I think that that's probably what's going to happen in this one. I think Georgia uh, walks all over South Carolina at the end of the day, and I think this one's a route. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. The next game, Ole Miss travels to a historic Grant, um, Grant Field and Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, to face the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. It's a 2.30 game on ABC. The line is at 16.5 points currently, and the over-under is at 63.5. It's a game where it looks like Jackson Dart is going to get the call to start the game. Um, and I anticipate Ole Miss not getting too much resistance from the Yellow Jackets. Um, I forget which one I called on first last time. I'm going to say boss man. You nailed it. It's me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Georgia Tech played Clemson pretty well, at least mm. in the first three quarters, uh, mm. you know, against Clemson until Clemson pulled away. Uh, Jeff Sims, their quarterback, uh, he's pretty athletic, you know, but he he's not he's not the best at the end of the day. Also, they lost Jameer Gibbs, who went out to Alabama and has looked awesome for Alabama. Losing him was huge. They, they really don't have much. It's really Jeff Sims back there just trying to figure something out. Uh, and it's still Georgia Tech at the end of the day. They haven't recruited that well. Um, they're still trying to figure it out. They don't have John Heisman rowing the sidelines anymore. Um, this is another team that needs to resurrect a few ghosts from the past to uh, win some of these games, and uh, they're not there right now. So uh, I, I think Ole Miss, I, I know Ole Miss right now is working through some things. Uh, Jackson Dart and Luke Altmyer quarterback, Dart's going to get the start. Um, and they, they haven't looked like the old Miss that we're, we've come, become accustomed to under Lane Kiffin just yet. Uh, but I think this is the week where they get that going. The, you know, this is an ACC team, uh, even though people are expecting uh, Ole Miss to kind of walk in there and run over them. Um, this is still a, an FBS team that you need to, to wake up for and get ready for. It'll be a good win at the end of the day, I think. I think Ole Miss's running game gets going. I think Zach Evans um, and Quinshawn Judkins, who we talked about uh, pre-show, um, I think they're really going to be able to run all over Georgia Tech. So I think Ole Miss takes this one pretty easily. Yeah, I'm on the same page. Not a ton to add there. I, I think Georgia Tech, you look at their their roster and, and frankly, their coaching staff, who's um, definitely on the hot seat right now. It, it kind of seemed to me like, you know, they played really hard against Clemson week one um, and then ultimately came up short and it was pretty lopsided at the end of the game. I, I think uh, – I don't think they have much left in the tank. I think the writing's kind of on the wall uh, for that Georgia Tech coaching staff and that roster. They know they're overmatched in this game. So if Ole Miss can can get out to, you know, 14-point lead in the first half, then I think Georgia Tech will just kind of lay down um, and, and let them run. So easy win for the Rebels on the road. Yeah, and if anybody is curious, look up Georgia Tech's schedule for 2022, and you will swear it was put together by Georgia Bulldog. It's absolutely terrible. They go to UCF next. It's it's horrible. Vanderbilt is at Northern Illinois Saturday at 2.30. It's on the CBS Sports Network. This is the second time Vanderbilt's been on that network this year. Um, Northern Illinois is favored by two and a half points with a 59-point over-under. And this is my Dewey Cox game of the week. Wrong team's favored. Vanderbilt it should be favored in this game. Um, I think they're going to win this game even on the road in Northern Illinois. Um, I, Mike Wright, I think they're going to be three and one going to Tuscaloosa when reality hits. Um, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I saw this line and, and couldn't believe it myself. I'm thinking, well, first I thought 
why in the world is Vanderbilt going on the road to Northern Illinois? That makes no sense. Um, and then I saw the line on the game, and I was like, okay, this makes no sense. I mean, look, Vanderbilt, they are who they are, uh, but they're improving. And against the inferior competition they played this year, they've taken care of business. Now, I think Northern Illinois is better than Hawaii, let's say, but they're not a great team. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. So uh, Vanderbilt should go in there and win. Like you said, Mike Wright uh, is a good quarterback. He'll be able to make some plays. And uh, I, yeah, I, I like Vandy to win and then obviously cover here. Yeah, I'm interested in this game for sure. Uh, it's like you guys said, you know, Northern Illinois is favored by two, two and a half. Um, if you look at the ESPN predictor, ESPN says Vanderbilt's going to win this game 66% chance. Um, so no one really kind of knows what to expect out of this one. I don't think uh, Vegas and, you know, the, the ESPN predictors and, and things like that know much of what to make from Vandy after their outing last week against Wake Forest, especially with uh, the QB position kind of a bit in flux. Mike Wright's going to start. Clark Lee uh, is saying he's the guy. Um, but after last week, I mean, he was benched in the third quarter and A.J. Swan, the freshman who they believe is going to be the future of the program, uh, came in and got him two touchdown drives late. So uh, we'll see if Mike Wright's the guy, uh, you know, all the way going through. I, I think that he has a good game in this one. He's an athletic guy. He's He had two great games early on. Um, uh, Northern Illinois, their quarterback is Rocky Lombardi, uh, who was the guy from Michigan State a few years ago, if you remember. Um, he's, uh, he's doing okay. I think his uh, passer rating at this point is around 60%. Um, so... We'll see. I, you know, I don't know a ton about Northern Illinois, but I do know a little about Vanderbilt, and um, I, I agree with you. I think Vanderbilt probably should be favored by around three, so I'll take Vandy uh, by a few points. Yeah, it should be. Um, Penn State is on the Plains at Auburn. 2.30 game on CBS, first CBS game of the year. Um, Penn State favored by three, over under at 47.5, so they're expecting a relatively low-scoring game. And the TV is going to be on CBS. This is a game with T.J. Finley. This is probably his last chance saloon at quarterback, the way I figured, because if he has a bad outing against Penn State and they have to go to Robbie Ashford, Robbie Ashford's probably going to be the dude going forward. But this is a game I just do not like Auburn in any way. Um, boss man? The only reason I like Auburn is because it's a Jordan Hare. It's like they pull out magic, you know, out of their you-know-what randomly on games like this, and it's – it's uh, is it a two thirty game you said or what? It's yeah, two thirty. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, if it was a night game, maybe it would be a, a little bit better shot for the Auburn Tigers. Um, a three thirty game, I'm not as uh, keen on. But uh, you know, I was writing our previews today for BiscuitsAndSEC.com, and I the questions at quarterback for Auburn, I don't think they've got enough magic that they can conjure up to pull out a win against a Penn State team that has Sean Clifford at quarterback, who's a very experienced veteran. The guy pulls wins out of nowhere sometimes. We saw that early in the year against Purdue uh, where he pulled one out of nowhere uh, to give Purdue, uh, Penn State a win. So uh, I just think that the experience of Penn State is too much in this one. I think that Penn State's got a better coaching staff, frankly, right now. They're going to be ready for Auburn. Um, they're going to know how to exploit, uh, you know, TJ Finley and, and what he's been doing uh, on tape. So I do expect to see Robbie Ashford by the end of this one. Um, and then I think – Auburn season gets pretty shaky from there. I mean, if you're looking to Robbie Ashford at quarterback, TJ Finley's on the back burner and you just, you're not going to play Zach Calzada because apparently you've just written him off. Uh, then I think it can get pretty ugly at Auburn there pretty quickly. And 
what we all expected at the start of the season when we talked in our week zero show about Brian Harson on the ropes. Yeah, he may be gone by like week six. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. But I, I expect Penn State to, to take it out on this one. Yeah, I um, agree with everything you said. I think on paper, Penn State's the better team. Uh, but I'm going to go with Auburn for <laughs> no reason other than it's at Jordan-Hare and Brian Harson needs this win. You know, you look at teams like, for example, A&M's back is against the wall uh, going into this week. Well, Auburn's is against the wall every single game. Um, and their first couple opponents have not been very good, so they haven't really had to get up for, for a big game. Um, but I think they're going to be able to get enough pressure on Sean Clifford. Penn State is still not a great team running the ball, so I think Auburn's defensive line will have some success. Um, and I'm really just banking on what Alex said, some Jordan Hare magic. I need a, a special teams touchdown or a, a defensive touchdown um, because without that, I don't think Auburn can win. Again, I think Penn State's a better team. I'm just banking on some chaos here uh, and thinking that maybe Harson can rally rally those troops. So that's what I'm going with. We're, we're rolling with the SEC teams this week. <laughs> yeah, um, orange face mask for that game. The, the rumor is down there on the smoke. They're, they're talking about orange jerseys, but I don't think it's going to be orange jerseys. I just think it's going to be orange face masks for that game. Um, in the ultimate revenge game that Nick Saban has been waiting since 2007 to do, Louisiana Monroe comes to Tuscaloosa, and Alabama's a 50-point favorite. And before people think that's too many points, just remember, this team bludgeons bad teams. It's bad against good teams, necessarily. They don't necessarily do what they have to do, but against bad teams, Bryce Young just lights them up. And um, But 50 points, that's going to be different. I think it's 49.5 now, and the over-under is at 61.5. So just picture that math real quick. Yeah, that uh, that doesn't take too long to calculate where they think this game is going. Um, and Vegas is right. I mean, look, you don't need to say a ton about – Louisiana Monroe, they're not a good team. Alabama's a, a very good team. And um, although Alabama didn't lose last week, they didn't play well. So I'm sure this week of practice was not any fun. They're going to be looking forward to getting back out on the field and taking care of business. So you don't want to be the team uh, that plays Alabama after a loss or after a subpar performance. Um, and unfortunately, Louisiana Monroe drew the short end of the stick this week. So Bama big here. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I was going to hit on. It's like, yeah, not only does Alabama uh, crush inferior opponents typically, but now they also got them on the heels uh, of the Texas game where Alabama was expected to walk into Austin. And uh, I hope you burn that tape, by the way, Stephen, because whatever I said last week, just throw it out the window. <laughs> it was all terrible. Um, you know, seriously, boss man, um, Quinn Ewers is legit, and I'm is. not sure if Arch Manning is going to beat him out. I'm with you. I don't think he is. I, I think that Arch Manning, um, you know, he'll be the QB of the future, but he's going to have to learn behind Quinn Ewers. Mm-hmm. I think that kid uh, can really play. Uh, looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks, uh, so you might get Hudson Card. I'm also hearing that they may be starting their third string because Hudson Card is on a bum leg. Uh, so that's neither here nor there. That's kind of that could get kind of interesting in Austin. And I'll just put this other thing in there. Hank and I talked before the season, circled the UTSA game, and said. This could get kind of sideways because you're coming off of the Alabama game mm-hmm. getting probably getting roughed up. They did, and UTSA is not a bad team. Um, 
So anyway, but with Alabama and UL Monroe, uh, the fight and Terry Bowden's don't stand a chance in this one. Um, I think that Alabama's just going to roll. Uh, they're going to cover this one 49 and a half. I expect them to, to be over that. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi State is down in Baton Rouge. They're two and a half point favorites on the road. The over-under is at 53 and a half points. It's on ESPN and it is five o'clock at night. Do you think Mike Leach is going to throw for 8,000 yards against LSU and Tiger Stadium again? Go ahead. Uh, let's see. Hammer? Yeah, I think it's Hammer. Um, I don't think they're going to throw for that many yards, but I do like the Bulldogs in this game. Um, and I, I'm scared saying that because it's a night game in Baton Rouge. And Mike Leach is – kind of known for throwing up stinkers when you least expect it. And then, you know, jumping up and uh, getting a big upset when you also least expect it. So he's a very hard coach to project. Um, but I think Mississippi state is just the, the more veteran, more experienced team. Will Rogers is not going to be intimidated in that environment. And um, look, uh, Jaden Daniels is playing well for LSU. I just, I don't trust them enough right now, and I don't trust their secondary. You know, I think if you look at their defense, that's probably um, the weakest link at the moment, and, and that's not a great matchup against Mississippi State. So I like the Bulldogs to go in there and win um, in a good, you know, competitive SEC game. Yeah, um, I'm a tank on this one on Mississippi State. I, I like Cowboy Will Rogers. He's my guy. He's He probably could be, you know, in the top three QBs in the SEC by the end of the year. Um, I've been high on him since the preseason, and he's looked every bit the part so far this year. Uh, and I, I think that he, he goes in and gets the win against LSU. I do think the night game could be an issue. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Hank touched on it, the experience of Mississippi State, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I think is going to cause fits for, for Jaden Daniels and that uh, LSU offense that looked just unbelievably undisciplined against FSU. You know, I, I thought that Brian Kelly was going to come in there and actually really start to implement some discipline uh, within that program pretty quickly. And uh, I was sorely mistaken after watching that FSU game and uh, the FSU film. So um, I, I just don't think LSU's there. I don't think you're going to turn that on a dime by week three. Uh, you know, you played a, a cupcake last week um, and now you get Mississippi State, who's a, a serious test. Um, I, I think that this was probably pretty close. Uh, and then I think maybe Mississippi State ends up winning this one by about 10. Um, but I expect the Bulldogs to, to take this one at the end. Yeah, the thing to watch for in this game is if Brian Kelly and his new to Mike Leach defensive staff decides to play man coverage against Mike Leach because he will absolutely eat you alive in man coverage, as mm -hmm. Ed Orgeron found out two years ago. So that that's the one thing to keep an eye on there. In Knoxville, Tennessee, the Tennessee Volunteers face the Akron, Akron Zips. Um, their mascot's a kangaroo, by the way. 7 o'clock Eastern. Um, the over-under, or Tennessee is favored by 47.5 points. The over-under is 67. You can catch it on ESPN+. I expect Hennon Hooker and the guys to have a field day, but that is too many points. Boss man. Yeah, and based on what Tennessee's offense did last week, um, you know, I think that spread is probably too many points. Uh, Akron's a nobody. Uh, actually, the former Terry Bowden team, the Akron Zips, uh, fun fact. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, Tennessee wins this one pretty easy, in my opinion. I, I think that Tennessee is on the rise. That win last week showed me a lot. I mean, that's a gritty win on the road against a pit team that's a really solid team uh, and, and showed that. So coming out of that place with a win, that's what great teams do, you know, 
good teams come out of those places not playing their best games and still walking away with the W. Tennessee did that last week. Uh, they're not going to have any trouble with Akron, uh, and I think that they're they're going to walk out with a, a pretty easy win and, and look forward to starting their SEC schedule. On the same page here, Tennessee wins easy. Um, only thing I wanted to point out, I think the current Akron coach is our old friend uh, Joe Moorhead. Yes. Uh, so yeah. it would be fun to see him back on the sidelines, but, yeah, he, he's overmatched here. So ball's big. Uh, spread might be too big, especially with Florida coming to town next week. I could see Tennessee shuffling their starters out uh, maybe earlier than normal, but yeah, easy, easy win here. Yeah, Tennessee students um, crashed the computer for tick buying tickets as soon as the um, Florida tickets went on sale in two minutes. Wow. So that game, I think Tennessee's smelling a little bit of blood with Florida coming up. And speaking of which, they're hosting South Florida this week. Florida's a twenty-four point favorite. It's a six thirty. Um, central kickoff on SEC Network. That's the game of the week. Um, Florida's favored by 24. The over-unders at 60. South Florida just doesn't have the dudes. They just, who Honestly, Willie Taggart tanked that team um, and then ran off to Oregon, and they have not recovered since then. And I think Florida, which was, we were right, it was fool's gold last week. Mm-hmm. Um they're going to beat South Florida. They're probably going to lose to Tennessee, but two and two in September is better than what I had them pegged um, starting this season, Hammer. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Um, and in this game specifically, South Florida, I think Florida's going to win big. South Florida's not a good team, and with Tennessee looming next week, Billy Napier's going to want to get his guys confident, and he's going to want to get the offense in sync. I mean, all the credit in the world goes to Kentucky. I picked Florida last week like a fool, uh, not realizing that, you know, although Will Levis is not, um, you know, the best QB in the SEC, as some think, they still have Mark Stoops as their coach, and he runs a damn good defense because Anthony Richardson looked like a totally different player, and that Gators offense just had nothing uh, working against Kentucky. So I think Napier is going to have a good plan against an overmatched opponent this week um, and wouldn't be surprised to see them not necessarily run it up, but definitely cover this spread um, and let Anthony Richardson get comfortable on the ground, uh, which he wasn't able to do last week. So yeah, this is a, a tune-up game of sorts for them. And I think they'll win big. Yeah. Yeah. To touch back on uh, Tennessee real quick, I, you know, it sounds like they're selling out of the student section uh, tickets. I'm sure the place has already sold out of mustard bottles too. You probably can't mm-hmm. find any mustard in the stores in Knoxville right now. Yeah. It's probably uh, a good weekend for French's. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you probably ought to, maybe don't go golfing either, yeah. uh, you know, for the next two weeks because you may not be able to find some golf balls. Um, as you, far as you, wait, goes, before well, before you go, yeah. um, my one of my favorite jokes is from that game is Joe Milton was apparently the only person in Neyland Stadium in that game that didn't want to throw something. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God for Lane Kiffin because it would have come 150 miles an hour at his head from 50 yards away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But as far as Florida goes, uh, yeah, I was really surprised at what I saw last week. I expected them to come out uh, and, and beat Kentucky. I, I thought that Utah was a better team. So comparing Utah to Kentucky, I thought, uh, you know, that the Billy Napier era was going to get off to a 2-0 start and two solid wins in the swamp. Uh, but Kentucky had other ideas. Will Levis came out hot. He looked really good early on. Uh, that kind of fell off a little bit as the game went on. I think his passer rating 
Uh, our QB rating was in the 40s, uh, all said and done. But Anthony Richardson's was like 3.8. I mean, it was bad at the end of the game. So um, they got to get him back on track, and this is the perfect uh, venue and forum to do it. Jeff Scott has had trouble getting this program back uh, you know, on track since he came from Clemson. And so he's got Jerry Bohannon, uh, the Baylor quarterback who transferred in, uh, but he hasn't been able to do too much. And against this Florida defense, he's not going to be able to do too much either. But they do need to tune it up. Billy Napier needs to get him back on track because that Tennessee game next week is going to be a real showdown. Um, and it's going to tell us a lot about where both of those programs are. Yeah. All right. So that is our SEC week three preview when we come back we'll tell you about the news around the league right after this break all right thanks for making the locked on almost podcast your first listen every day we are free and available wherever you get your podcast including itunes and spotify you don't have to um you can say whatever you want to say just make sure it's a five-star review leave a five-star review say what you want to say get out of there it may not be cup your cup of tea but it could be somebody's and that can direct them to the site whenever they search the algorithm. So, interesting news came out this week where the SEC directed Tennessee and Georgia uh, to cancel their series with Oklahoma, which there were games that were supposed to go the two, the two years coming up. And the SEC reasoning behind it, it was the whole contract would not be able to get fulfilled because of um them coming into the sec which honestly that's not true because it'll be fulfilled within two years of them coming into the sec they can set the first game as a road game or a home game whatever it needs to be so everybody's gonna wonder boss man does this mean oklahoma and texas are going to come sooner than expected uh i say yes you know, I, I think that's going to happen. And I think the writing's on the wall if you look at the landscape uh, across college football. If you take a look outside the SEC, you see that USC and UCLA are going to be going to the Big Ten. I believe it's next year or within the next two years. So 24, I think, is when they start. Um, so they'll have one dead year in the Pac-12. Uh, but the, the thought was that uh, Oklahoma and Texas would do the, the rest of the contract in the Big 12, which would have run through 2025. Um, so they would have been coming into the uh, SEC in 2025 for the that fall season. Um, with USC and UCLA going into the Big Ten in 24, and then also with the Big 12 and all the shuffling that they're doing, uh, I believe they're going to bring in – they've got four teams coming in, and I think they're, they're going to uh, stagger it. So two teams are coming in early, two teams I think come in in 23, and then two teams coming in 24. Uh, I just think the scheduling just gets kind of crazy. So I think at the end of the day – the Big 12 is just going to be sick of dealing with Oklahoma and Texas and having them be, uh, you know, lame ducks for three years, essentially. Um, I think that there will be negotiations that happen between uh, those schools, the SEC and the Big 12, to get them out of there faster uh, so that we can just speed up this process. The other thing you got to think about is the college football playoff. We're talking about uh, the college football playoff potentially expanding to 12 teams starting in 2024. And I think every conference uh, from the SEC to the Big 12 to the Pac-12, everybody, I think, really wants to have their realignment kind of settled by the time that happens. And so I think you're just kind of seeing if you're if you're watching the puzzle pieces and the chess pieces getting moved around, uh, I think it tells you that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be here sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, I'm on the same page there. I think one thing to note, so if you are trying to think of a, a specific timeline, um, I think we're looking at 2024 most likely because the SEC did not uh, advise Alabama to cancel their home game in 2023 with Texas. So Texas will travel to Tuscaloosa next year. Um, that game as of now still, you know, on the books. Obviously, if they did make the move, like Stephen said, it could be you know, scheduling would be worked out and those teams would be playing each other one way or the other, either way. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting note um, to, to look at. So I think if, if you're looking at things, you know, from a bird's eye view, I think you're looking at 2024 for most likely when these teams um, get in, barring, you know, some kind of, I don't know, Big 12 TV deal that lets Texas and OU out of the grant of rights or, or something like that. Um, but if things hold as they are, I think you'll you'll see them get out one year ahead of schedule. Yeah, I, I, the the avenue that I see, like whenever you have the rights, is that the four corner schools potentially coming into the Big Twelve, the Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. If those four come into the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve is going to want to get that started as soon as possible. They're not going to want to deal with Texas and Oklahoma. Colorado absolutely is not going to want to deal with Texas, and. I think in that situation, I think part of those four corner schools coming in is going to be getting rid of Texas and Oklahoma in in a weird kind of way. Yeah, I think there's the potential there for that. I mean, I, I, I'm forgetting exactly who all the teams that the Big 12 right now is bringing in, but I know that the Big 12 is going to continue to look at expansion. I don't think that they feel like at the end of the day uh, with the BYU that they're bringing in, Cincinnati that they're bringing in, um, I think UCF, and I'm forgetting one of the other ones, or the, the final one. But uh, you, you bring those teams in, and, and BYU's playing good football right now. Cincinnati made the playoff last year. Uh, UCF is the 2017 national champions. Um, so, you know, there's they're, they're obviously bringing in some teams that are solid. Uh, but I, I think that everybody, even TV, you know, is going to view that as still a lesser conference than the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, so I think they're still going to be looking to, to try and add teams. Um, so if those four corner teams do, you know, potentially make a move or the big 12 makes a move to add them uh, earlier, uh, then yeah, you could, you could have some, uh, you know, you could see Oklahoma and Texas push out earlier, but I, I'm not sure that that even needs to happen for this. I think the SEC is really pushing hard. I, I think the big 12 is going to be sick of them at the end of the day with these other four schools coming in. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure that Texas right now is poisoning the well with the Big 12 and just trying to be as god-awful as they can uh, to the Big 12 officials uh, so that they can get the heck out of Dodge sooner rather than later. Yeah, that, that, that's been my advice to like Oklahoma fans and Oklahoma administration. They don't expect it from you. Be completely SEC all the time and be obnoxious about it. To the they, they just want you to leave. Because right. the honesty is the reason Oklahoma and Texas is still going to be around anyway is because of pettiness. So if they want to be petty, you need to match that match that with obnoxiousness and just go for broke. Am I right, Hammer? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, the contract is what it is. So the Big 12 doesn't have to do anything that they don't want to do. So make them want to do it, right? <laughs> make them want you gone. Um, and like Alex said, I, I think – Texas is probably doing that. I don't know how much OU's doing, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, look, once that announcement was made, I mean, there was no love lost between either one of those parties, yeah. right? The Big 12 was mad. They said as much, uh, or I guess commissioner who's on his way out or already done, Bowlesby, was, was not happy. 
Um, and obviously Texas and OU said all they needed to say by making the move. So they already don't like each other. Um, but with the money involved, the Big 12 doesn't have to act. So, yeah, if you're Texas and OU, you want to try to force their hand and just say, all right, let's let's get rid of these guys. Yeah, the, the most unhappy schools at the moment would probably have to be Baylor, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. Those, those are the most aggrieved schools. So they're going to be the ones that are playing for the pound of flesh. And you're basically going to have to placate those guys um, to get out, get out of the league because you need them to say, go, just, just go. And those are the and, ones that they want to make them bleed. You're yeah. Right. Oh, they yeah. Yeah. They want they, they want their pound of flesh because, yeah. you know, Baylor would not even be in the Big Twelve if it wasn't for Ann Richards. Um, and Oklahoma State thought they were just con- legislatively attached to Oklahoma, and the fact that all of this is getting haywire and they realizing exactly where they sit on the totem pole, yeah, they're going to want to make them hurt as much as possible. Yep. So anyway, that has been the week three preview from Biscuits and SEC. Thank you guys for Bossman Slim, the Hammer. I'm Stephen Willis. Thank you very much for tuning in. Enjoy this week of college football. After this weekend, the season will be a quarter over. I know that's sad, but man, it goes by so quick. Anyway, I will see you guys later, and everybody enjoy their week of football.